This is the Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Podcast, investing and wealth building with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our next edition of the Investment Passive and Active Podcast. I'm Roland Kim and welcome. I'm Connie Buna. So glad you're here with us. It's the beginning of 2022. So Connie, tell me, what did you see happen in real estate investing in 2021? Oh my goodness. What a year for <laughs> investors and what a year for homeowners, property owners right across the country. I know that it's likely dominating your news feeds just like it's dominating mine. The conversation around spiraling house prices Escalating, I should use that yeah. more clear Going up, term. not down. Escalating home prices yes. and uh, remaining low interest rates despite crazy levels of inflation. Very, very interesting dynamic. One of the things that I think about in 2021 as really interesting opportunities is looking further afield for opportunities, looking outside the opportunities in your direct backyard and feeling more comfortable with opportunities that are further away geographically. Mm -hmm. That's something that was a certainly a big learning curve for me. Okay. And I had to, I had to do, um, you know, it, it took me a while to kind of mentally get myself ready for those opportunities. What about yourself, partner? You know, I think 2021 had such a lift in the property values from residential and investments that, um, you know, it, it was baffling. I don't see anything but, you know, but a busy year as well this year. And so it's certainly from an investment property perspective has made it harder to find good cash flowing properties. Yeah. And it has, you know, a positive if you're in those areas, certain areas that used to have really good rental returns, but had pretty steady market value. It's, they, they, they spiked and the returns aren't as as good anymore. And it makes it questionable, what's the long-term plan? What's the, on pricing? Yes. Where's it going to go? And so I think 2021, you couldn't go wrong anywhere you had your money. It, you saw success. I think 2022 is going to be a good year, but I'm also um, more cautious now on the approach and the, and the areas. Okay. So some of my ideas are, you know, I think outlying areas, maybe smaller communities or, or cities that were stagnant for many, many years took off. Okay. And I don't see a reason why they're going to retract in the short term because interest rates are still very low. You know, during the COVID pandemic that we're still going through, many people, surprisingly, you know, other than tourism and food and beverage, are making more money. They're certainly saving more. And so there's been a lot more liquidity in the marketplace, not to mention all the all the money that the government's pumped in. And, yes. and so um, money is is flowing. Okay. And so, you know, early at the beginning of the pandemic, I was thinking, what would it look like if it was the opposite? I was speculating that money would dry up. And so we're, we're awash in money. And so I think there's a couple more years before that kind of sorts itself out and starts to give an indication of what that looks like. And so maybe in, you know, two, three, four years, the markets, you know, are no longer such a seller's market, such a busy market. But in, in the short term, I, I see nothing but, you know, sustained buyer demand and prices going up from here. You know, it'll be a question of how much in different areas. That kind of brings me back to, for some people, stability, yeah. you know, so same as in the stock market. It's, you know, at all time highs. And so, you know, I might be more comfortable now to put my money into kind of 
the boring banks, the the Pepsi Cola, you know, like Coca Cola. It's it's things that I don't know what the market's going to do. But if the market does retract in the future, it's going to be less likely to have you know a dramatic retraction in those uh, blue, chip blue chips. Stocks. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I see opportunity for the right type of client in the Canadian marketplace is finding blue chip, right? And so you have two options. One is you take the approach of like, my gosh, the market's taken off so much in 2021. This is not sustainable. This is this is too much. Like the, the numbers don't make sense anymore compared to what I was used to. The challenge with that is I think the market is going to maintain this level and grow for a couple more years before we figure out for a number of reasons that we'll get into after. But before we, we figure out, you know, how does it respond? How yes. does it respond to interest rate escalation to um, inflation to, you know, the government stopping pumping money into the system. And so if you take the first option where your, your approach is that the prices have gone up too much, the return on your investment's not worth it, you're sitting on the sideline. And I actually think you're going to, you know, let's say over two years, miss eight to 16% growth. And so um, I think that's more costly than doing something. If you have a little bit of a higher, you know, um, concern about not taking on risk, yes, then I think it's a prime year, 2022, to look at the blue chip cities. So I think, you know, where Vancouver went up double digits, but I think it might have gone up 15 to 20 percent. I have to check in 2022. 2021. 2021. And versus places like um, on the island that doubled or um, mm-hmm. I think like small islands off the coast of Vancouver like Bowen and Salt Spring. Yeah, it went yeah. from 800000 for a house to $2 million. That scares me now Yeah, in the sense of I wouldn't put more money personally there unless it was my passion money because it grew so fast. Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of the peripheral regions where the, um, the COVID effect of people migrating yes. out, you know, we're looking at houses in, you know, tear down houses in Maple Ridge selling for well over a million. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff also just makes me scratch my head to think like, what's the, you know, if there was a retraction, those are the regions I think would be most dramatically impacted. Part of my advice with people always is time horizon Mm -hmm. is is a huge component of your decision-making factors, right? Like, are you comfortable holding that property for five to 10 years at the bare minimum? in which case your numbers could look attractive if there's volatility. I think the window of short play, it's, this is just maybe I'm also my, my personal ethics around it coming into play, but I just, I think the short, quick turnover transactions, I think we're going to see some changes. I think the likely we'll see it governmental Mm -hmm. and, and oversight changes, penalizing investors for those sorts of play. I also just think morally it's, Wrong. Yeah. And I mean, it's just more risky, I think, yeah. in this environment. You know, it's, it is it is interesting where you were mentioning about the peripheral areas outside main cities having grown a lot in yeah. the COVID environment. And we're already starting to see an effect of that. Like we've had a few conversations with clients for in our region that, you know, we're, we're main part of Vancouver, East Vancouver. And we had clients move out to, um, you know, Abbotsford and, and areas such as that. And they're now talking about moving closer to the city again. Yes. You know, that's a real reality from investments as well because there's townhouse developments that, you know, might be built in in areas further away from the main city that in the last two years looked really, really attractive because they were low on price and 
the rents were so similar to, you know, what the main cores were getting. Yes. But I think there's going to be a little bit of migration away from those areas. And so we'll see opportunities and we'll see some changes. Are you ready to build a stronger financial future, but don't know where to start? Connect with our advisors with Prometheus Private Advisory Group. We commit to understanding where you are financially today and where you want to be tomorrow. By providing you the knowledge, tools, and guidance through achievable objectives, we can help reach your financial goals quicker. For more information and a free consultation, email ben.chan at ppagroup.ca. A stronger financial future starts today. One of the things we were talking about this year or this this past week, Connie and I, are we've always talked to you about what's your avatar. So if you're an investor, you'd be working with us. One of our early conversations will be trying to figure out, you know, um, why are you wanting to buy an investment property? And like you mentioned, what is your timeline horizon? What is your plan and your comfort level and your resources and your skill set? And putting that all together into a mixture kind of would then tell us, okay, well, here are some options that might be of interest for you to consider. And that's always the case. You always need to do that. And then for the active investors, something that we're now starting to have conversations with our clients who we helped, you know, buy properties 10, 12 years ago is uh, their situations changing and also um, their finances are changing and their comforts and their ability. I mean, just speaking for myself, the first property I ever bought was a two bedroom and I pretty much ran a and b where I think I, you know, I don't know if I included breakfast in the <laughs> monthly rent, but I felt like I made breakfast every day and, and I had always great roommates that, you know, they paid an amazing amount of rent and they went to SFU and, and it was great because that's, that's all I could afford and I made it work, you know, and, and then I migrated from there to kind of buy older properties that needed ongoing work and more work and, and more hands-on management. But um, the price point was attractive for me with wanting cash flow return and I was willing to take on the work. And so um, now I'm, I'm at a stage where, you know, I don't want more work. I almost want to get some more time back. And so I wouldn't be buying the future properties that I'm buying perhaps will be properties that in the short term don't have positive cash flow or strong positive cash flow. They might be neutral. But um, they're turnkey, right? Like a management company will manage them or they're brand new and they need very little management. And I'm looking for them to take care of themselves and be strong investment properties down the road. Yeah. And so that's an interesting thing where I think, you know, lots of investors never sit down and perfect time of year to do it is at the beginning of the year to analyze what do they own and, you know, what do they like about it and where do they want to take it? Yeah. What has shifted in your perspective in terms of the way that you look for opportunities? How are you different today than you were previously? Well, I mean, if I went back 15 years ago, I was just ecstatic that someone would loan me money. So I think like 16 years ago, I didn't qualify for a mortgage. Let's say, you know, two years after that I did. And they told me what I qualified for and I bought the best two bedroom I could get my hands on because I knew I needed a roommate. And so I was willing to do anything to make that happen. Right. And then when I decided to be an investor and bought my first investment property, same thing. I was willing to take on an older property that needed a lot more hands on work that perhaps had, you know, some tenant issues that had to be worked through. And to flip that now, 10 years later, I have other priorities in my life that are more important than than solving tenant issues in a in a fourplex. And I wouldn't buy that same building today 
mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I don't want to invest the time yes. required to do it. So I'm willing, you know, in this situation to perhaps take less cash flow, but have something that needs less time. Sure. And so that is, that's an ongoing thing that, you know, that is real. That's the same way as figuring out why you're buying something and what your investment avatar is. You should annually sit down if you own investment properties and figure out why do you own them and and what's, you know, what's working for you and where do you want to take it? Mm -hmm. Because um, the flip side of that is I've seen investors kind of, um, you know, move on in life and and they, um, their estate takes over the properties and they sell everything because it was very hard to manage. Yeah. And so perhaps that investor would have had really dreams of leaving a legacy behind, but they didn't actively convert it into a legacy type of investment. So it was still a very hard investment to manage. Right. And then when the next generation got, you know, access to it, they didn't have connection to it and it was very hard to manage. So they just liquidated everything. And so there's lots of things to consider annually. Also annually, one of the things you could do right now, I think, is inspect your properties. Yes. And, you know, and figure out what are short-term improvements that are necessary mm-hmm. to make the, the property more, you know, suitable for the tenant and long-term survive. Mm-hmm. And then what are some long-term over, you know, let's say the next two to five year investments you could do into it. And, and so that ranges from, you know, roof, foundation, a um, lot of plumbing, yeah, is what I'm thinking about right now with some investment properties. For example, you know, if you have a fourplex and they all have their own hot water tank, it's not unusual that all the hot water tanks were changed at the same time. Yes, yeah. And so one of the risks you run is, and it's happened to us, is, um, you know, your one or two hot water tanks go on a long weekend and you're paying long weekend rates and, and yes. no one has water for two days. Yeah. You know? And so what would it look like if you created a budget and did a plan of proactively replacing perhaps one of the four hot water tanks in this theoretical fourplex, you know, at the nine-year mark versus waiting for it to break. Yes. And so create a plan. So doing a bit of a sort of a a capital asset forecast. Yes. And building that into your long-range, medium and long-range planning. So as opposed to being reactive to repairs and maintenance and, and, and all of those fun things that come along with the joy of being a, an owner is just getting on top of that. There must be also some sort of efficiencies around that too, because you can get strategic also without, you know, in terms of, you know, okay, hot water tanks need to be replaced. You can actually plan and organize that as opposed to emergency response. Definitely. There's a, a huge budgetary aspect to it. That's a positive where, if you pre-plan, you know, annually how much money you want to invest into reinvest into the building and and on maintenance. Yeah. There's also a unmeasurable emotional benefit. And what I mean by that is um I have clients now that are talking about not buying more investment properties and they're actually talking about potentially liquidating cuz to be honest, they've gotten amazing market growth. They've had great returns on rent for 10 years. And they've kind of got complacent. Yes. And so when, you know, three problems pop up at the same time, it's exhausting for them. Yes. Whereas had they, you know, approached it from proactiveness and that plan in place, then they wouldn't see the, you know, the leaks or the problems or or the repairs that needed as coming out of, you know, the blue. It was more, some of that could have already been proactively dealt with Mm -hmm. and keeping themselves almost in the investor mindset. Because I think sometimes if you're fortunate enough to own a few properties, be an investor, they run really, really well for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then when some problems come up, you feel like it's the end of the world, like it's exhausting. And you sometimes people go instantly to uh, like, how do I get out of this? How, How 
Can I make it easier? Mm-hmm. And they might exit. And I see it often from an investment property that at that moment they see that they, you know, they did well with return and did well with market appreciation. And then they never reallocate those resources. Yes. And they didn't actively make that decision. They more reactively made it because they didn't want the work, which could have been, you know, mitigated. Warner, I've been reading a lot about, and maybe you have as well, about multinational uh, large corporations purchasing bulk residential real estate, single family detached homes. It seems to be a much more common story now in the Canadian context. What are your thoughts on how that's going to impact the, um, you know, just the, the regular Joe Blow investor? Yeah, I mean, I do sadly feel that um, home ownership, we're making it harder and harder for first-time buyers and first-time investors to um, provide for themselves through that. And I think also um, the corporations are starting to see that. I think corporations see that there is a generation that's developing in Canada, North America, that no longer sees home ownership as an automatic step of adulthood that they want or that they can afford or that they need. And so the, the challenge of that and the risk of that is a lot of folks who could own their property, a lot of people who could own investment property may not be doing it in the years ahead. And, you know, we'll create more of a, a rental market that is owned by corporations, which I'm not a fan of. I think, you know, a, a small landlord that owns a few properties provides typically amazing value and service and is attentive and hands-on and cares for their tenant, you know, and and um, is giving value back. And it's a win-win relationship. So a concern I have is there are parts of the world where there's generational ownership, meaning that there's mortgages that last for multiple generations. There's, you know, there's an entire generation that just assumes, you know, they're going to rent for the rest of their life. Mm. And perhaps they're making in their town and city country really good money, but they've just like that ownership has changed. And so mm-hmm. it is interesting where I think we're at the cusp of seeing what the next 50 years will look like. Mm-hmm. Home ownership will not be as natural or automatic. Mm-hmm. And the typical landlord in Canada used to be, you know, like the person next door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they own their own home and maybe one other property. Yes. And that changing does concern me. Okay. The other thing I've read that I think also impacts the average investor is I've seen some scuttlebutt that. They might change the lending requirements and increase the down payment for, you know, investment property purchases up to, I thought, I read as high as 35%. What are your thoughts on how that will impact the landscape? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not a positive thing. And I think it's um, approaching it from the wrong way. If I take it back to residential sales, and when we first started being realtors, I'm going to say 13, 14 years ago, I remember my first few clients, they got cashback mortgages. They had literally no down payment. They had a good job and they, you know, they, they wanted to own versus rent. And they were able to get a 40-year amortization peer, uh, wow. threshold. So, you know, and ironically, some of those people now on paper are millionaires because they've upgraded three times and now own a detached home. Mm-hmm. And when I bring that back into today's average first-time buyer that's actively going to buy a property, I would say they are way more prepared today. They are have saved far more money and they're more conscious of what a home homeowner is. Yes. And so in order, like this idea of approaching or trying to deal with the escalation in prices from the demand side versus the product side is causing a lot more problems because... Mm-hmm. 
we're making it harder for the entry-level investor, the entry-level buyer to get started when we actually forget that when we were in their place, it was way easier. Mm-hmm. And so the danger in that is, again, the existing landlords, it's, it remains easier for them because they already have their foot in the market and, and they're able to pivot and navigate. And larger corporations then start taking over because it's harder for a new person to get into the marketplace. Mm. So I would be a big proponent of making those rules. I don't see those rules helping the average person get into the market. And I definitely don't see those having the effect they think they, it will mm-hmm. to, you know, affordability. affordability. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a failed process. And so it does concern me. And I think it's kind of cheating the people that are trying to get started right now. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I don't oppose there being a higher threshold for an investor. I think that I like the the differentiation and the break that that would give a, a, um, you know, principal homeowner versus an investor buyer. So I don't don't mind that piece. I share your concern that I don't think it's the magic bullet that's solving housing affordability. And I think about the ways that, you know, and this is a common story in our city in Vancouver, where we keep coming back to the conversation around housing affordability and like and the ultimate what is causing it time and time again the very obvious answer is actually the city is causing it the city's restrictive zoning requirements and policies create a an environment where essentially we have caused this to happen we have created the uh, the unicorn of the single family home and it's so unnecessary. I think there could be so much more diversity in the housing stock. And so as it relates to that piece, I feel like with more diversity of of housing stock options, I don't see us moving away in the short term from the scenario that is very obviously in play in our city and in our in our region, which is the vast majority of rental properties are owned by independent owners as opposed to purpose-built rentals. And so I think that the the down payment is one piece of a of a huge huge complex problem. But another another component to that is, you know, addressing the house the the zoning restrictions so that we can actually build more housing stock. Are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? It starts with taking the first step. Call the Home Happy team for a free review of your financial situation and let us start to build your financing plan. Our team's experience, technology, and lender connections will allow you to build what you may not think is possible. We will look at all the options open to you and mix those with your dreams and goals to build the perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. With the Home Happy team helping you, your future starts now. Yeah, I mean, very true. And you look at numbers, don't lie. I mean, for ever since we've been realtors last dozen years, everyone's talked about migration and growth to Canada, to the West Coast, to Vancouver. That is far higher than the rate that we're building. Totally. And so now let's talk about Vancouver. We've had, on average, we have about 45,000 people that move to BC a year. And we're building way less than that in new units. In fact, some years it was as low as 25,000 a year. And it's been like that for a decade or two longer. Yeah. You know, and and ironically, starting in, in, you know, the expo generation in 86 and then 
many times since then, including, you know, 2010 with the Olympics, where we're screaming at the world saying, come discover us. We're, it's awesome here. And yeah. they have, but we don't build for it. And so I think it is interesting where we've gotten to such a point where, ironically, the, the new builds are starting to move up towards the migration number. But what people are forgetting is whether it's a decade or two decades of a lack of building, Yes, that is now really starting to show why we can't get out of a seller's market. Mm -hmm. Why the prices are so high and continue to go up is because there is simply a lack of inventory. Yeah, And so, I mean, from an investment perspective, if you want to benefit from that, it continues to be a really good time to be a landlord. Yeah. Um, equally, you know, I think tenants have also, um, you know, if you can be a good landlord that you get, you get really comfortable long-term tenants. Yes. I want to, as we kind of eventually, you know, look towards uh, closing out this podcast, I want to talk about an opportunity that I see in the marketplace. And, uh, and then I'll see, I'll have you share one. So if you're in the Vancouver area right now, and if I was an investor wanting to um, capitalize on the fact that I think you're in a very stable market for home ownership and prices are going to continue to go up, the advice I would have given you, you know, five years ago, up to five years ago, buy in Squamish because it yeah. did, didn't make sense to me that, you know, 45 to an hour outside of downtown Vancouver was a town called Squamish where the houses cost less than 45 minutes in the other direction. Yeah. In fact, my wife and I, you know, were fortunate enough to buy a, a house there, an investment property, and it's been it's been very rewarding. And now the prices have grown dramatically, almost in line with East Vancouver in some areas. <laughs> And so now I'm looking on the horizon and thinking, what's the next thing based, you know, right or wrong, it's just happening. And so the next thing I think, if you're a Vancouver investor or want to invest in Vancouver, and you want stability and safety, I think is, is recognize what is the future family home. And what I mean by that is in five years, certainly in 10 years, when someone says, oh yeah, come over to my house, I'm at, uh, you know, Clark and, and 12th, they're not automatically referring to a detached house, you know? They're likely living in a three-bedroom townhouse or duplex. Mm -hmm. And so a huge opportunity is becoming a landlord of duplexes or townhouses because the quality of clients, uh, tenants that you are open to, that, that are going to be interested, are at the top tier. Yes. They're professional families. These are folks that whether they have intentions of owning and they're on the path of saving the money or they don't want to be homeowners, they're great tenants. They're not going to damage the property. They're going to live their life and they'll leave you alone and you can provide a great product. And so that to me is, is like the future no-brainer. Very expensive, perhaps low you know, cash flow positive. You're looking for a neutrality or you might even need to supplement it a little bit mm -hmm. in the early years. But it's glaring at me to be a no-brainer that the future, just the landmass in Vancouver, where, you know, at, I think that in Vancouver proper, we had like 90,000 lots. Mm -hmm. And every year, you know, between 1,000 and 1,500 lots are, are pulled down for redevelopment. Mm -hmm. Building that out for 10 years, it does show that the detached house will no longer be the average family home in 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so there's an opportunity there. And that's that's what I'm trying to help a lot of clients recognize, especially clients who don't need short-term cash flow. They yeah. want stability, safety, provide a great product to their tenants, and they want to be awesome landlords mm -hmm. with something that's really easy to manage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes me think of my very last transaction in 2021. We sold a property in Gastown, uh, Strathcona, and the buyer was buying for their children. 
And they had like, you know, young kids, you know, like under 10 little ones. And the parents were just of the mindset that they're going to likely supplement from a cash flow perspective this asset. But, you know, 20 years down the road, this is going to be an amazing home for their kids. And I just, you know, it really struck me that idea that that planning for the future and the vision that they had, the belief they had in the location, the belief they had in in the stability and the value of holding property here and holding real estate for for their children, for their family. So I do agree and, you know, bring on that stock of of three bedroom townhomes and more half duplexes. Certainly we need much, much more of it. Definitely. And to that end, I mean, although we're in a very expensive market in Vancouver and certainly Canada in general has gone up, there still are lots of investment opportunities. Mm-hmm. It always, uh, you know, I think being an investor in a landlord long term is a great thing to do. And so reach out to us if you have any questions about what options might be available to you. A strategy we'll talk about at a future podcast is called uh, Rent Here, Buy There. And that concept is great for folks that might have, you know, a a deposit and a mortgage amount that doesn't allow them to buy their primary residence in the city of Vancouver or in a main city hub. But you could perhaps be a a renter in your in your city and be a landlord somewhere else. And that's a great way of getting your foot in the market. And that's something we can talk about. Yeah, building equity. Always a pleasure to talk with you, partner. Thank you so much. Thanks Thanks for listening, everybody.